0: Birthday TCM!
1: Hello, Monster Island Resort listeners, and thank you for returning once again to the Monster Island Resort, your online radio show that goes bump in the night. I am your host, Miguel Rodriguez, and normally I reserve this little vacation spot on the web to discuss horror and history, art, literature, film, and beyond. But today we are opening the doors for a few more people to join the monsters and the ghouls here on the resort. Before I get to the main topic which is a topic of the purest joy and happiness for me, it is with great regret that I must start this episode with some very sad news. It has been confirmed that the Ken Cinema, an establishment that should be considered of vital historical importance to the city of San Diego, will close its doors in less than two weeks on Sunday, April 27th. For those listeners who don't know... The Ken is a single-screen classic theater that has a long history of film presentation in the San Diego neighborhood of Kensington. On August of 2012, they had a centennial celebration of a number of classic films, including D.W. Griffith's 1916 silent classic, Intolerance, starring Lillian Gish. Although there was some contention about whether or not The Ken has actually been screening for a 100 years, there is no argument that The Ken has been around long enough to make that argument a hard one to have. They have been a classic theater, a repertory theater, an art theater, a midnight movies theater, a cult theater, and for the last few years they have been part of the Landmark family. They were also the last bastion of film-capable theaters left in San Diego. Now, that is all gone. According to Landmark president Ted Mundorf, who Monster Island Resort alumnus and KPBS arts and culture reporter Beth Alcomando talked to today, single film theaters are becoming extremely difficult to maintain. Add to that the need to upgrade the theater to digital presentation in order to screen newer films, and Landmark found themselves needing to know their theater would be around for a while before they could undertake such an endeavor. Unfortunately, the Torrey Pines management company, who owns the building, would only offer a month-to-month lease, So Landmark made the painful decision not to renew. Please check out Beth's interview with Ted Mundorf on her Cinema Junkie blog for KPBS. There will be a link on the post for this episode over at monsterislandresort.org. I'm rather terrified when I think of what will happen to the building that occupied the Ken Cinema. Will it be just another hipster restaurant or pub? Will we have lost another champion of film in this city that is already a bit of a film desert? And this is happening in the same month that they decided to close the San Diego Opera? It is definitely a sad time for San Diego. I think I need to make myself feel better. I need to think about the classic films, like Kino's Metropolis Restoration, that I saw at the Ken. Alright, yeah, that makes me feel better. I love classic films, which brings me to the happiness inherent in today's topic. Today, I will be joined by a bunch of people I normally only get to talk to on Twitter through a group called TCM Party. What we do is we have live conversations on Twitter while watching movies on TCM. We follow each other's conversations with the hashtag TCMParty. The TCM in TCM Party stands, of course, for Turner Classic Movies, a cable network that not only champions the posterity of film history in a commercial-free environment, and not only turns 20 years old this month, but also just wrapped four days of whirlwind screenings of films, panels, presentations, and more at the fifth annual TCM Classic Film Festival in Hollywood, California. As Cinema Junkie Beth Accomando said in her own wrap-up of the event, pure ecstasy. The TCM party people and I will discuss a lot of the festival and our own experiences, but I just want to say a few more things here as kind of a primer to our conversation. Many people know me as the horror guy because I do a horror show, direct a horror film festival, and frankly, I just know an awful lot about horror as a genre. And that said, my love for classic film is a variety of genres, far-reaching and varied. I do ask people in this episode about their own personal connections to classic film, but I don't really mention mine, so I will tell that story here. As with some of my guests on today's show, I owe my love of classic film to my family. It is very fitting that the theme for this year's TCM Classic Film Fest was family, the ties that bind, because I think a lot of us have that connection to film. My mother really loved older films and tried to instill in me a love of older films, so she would get them for my brothers and and me from the uh, library quite often. Uh, This is in the heyday, of course, of VHS. I was already a fan of black-and-white TV shows like Old Gilligan's Island, The Twilight Zone, Outer Limits. So the age of the films, or the black-and-white, or anything like that really never bothered me. And in fact, I really loved it. It was part of what drew me in. It was part of the fantasy. And as a young boy who was in love with monsters and with horror, much of my first horror movies were, of course, classic horror films. Dracula, Frankenstein, which was my mom's favorite monster, The Wolfman, and many, many others were a steady part of my cinematic diet. Most of that diet at the time was, of course, horror, but I did learn to love all kinds of classic films, especially when I met one very close friend, a friend so close that, of course, I would call her family, a sister, a best friend in high school. She was my prom date, a staunch feminist, and a lover of classic film. She had me watch with her... MGM musicals, old melodramas, and other types of classic films I probably wouldn't have seen on my own at the time. Her hero was Lucille Ball, and I still remember her old Vitamita Vegemin t-shirt, a shirt from an old I Love Lucy episode that I remember watching with her, both of us breaking into peals of laughter. This friend's name was Joanna Mickey Blakely, and following a serious illness after an overseas trip, this world lost her glow on July 7th of the year 2007. She was only 29 years old. I know I said the rest of this episode would be joy, and it is. Mickey is still around every time I watch classic films. This weekend at the TCM Classic Film Festival, she was with me for four of the best days a human life could experience. I can't think of anything better, and this episode is absolutely dedicated to her. For you regular Monster Island Resort listeners, remember that horror, sci-fi, and monster movies are a critical part of the world of cinema, no matter what some people will say. It is another happy thing that TCM also understands this. Not only do they dedicate good portions of their television programming to genre work, including the brilliant TCM Underground series but monster fans always have something for them at the TCM Classic Film Fest as well. My first experience at the fest this year was a packed panel called Gods and Monsters, which featured director Joe Dante and legendary special effects monster maker Rick Baker talking about their lives, their experience with monsters, how monsters were made, and everything you could want from such a panel. We also saw David Lynch's Dark Nightmare Eraserhead and Todd Browning's misunderstood masterpiece Freaks at the festival. The final film of the fest for me was Alfred Hitchcock's first suspense film, the silent film called The Lodger, with live musical accompaniment of the original score. Those are just some of the highlights of genre-based attractions for TCM attendees. Those of you who know me know that one of the best parts has to be the presentation of Ishiro Honda's original Godzilla from 1954. Beth and I were first in line for this screening, and we waited long enough that I could make a brief stop-motion movie using her kaiju earrings, which I think I'll have a little link to up on on the post for this episode, so check that out. The screening itself was introduced by Gareth Edwards, who is the director of the new American Godzilla film coming out from Legendary Pictures on May 16th. Personally, I am cautiously optimistic about that. Edwards did say some very smart things in the introduction, and in fact I do feel a little better about the film coming out following his introduction. He was a very charming guy. I also think, though, that he was smart enough to say some things that he knew the TCM audience would want to hear, but I'll give him the benefit of a doubt. I did like his film Monsters, after all. And after the film, Rialto founder Bruce Goldstein did a brilliant presentation comparing the Japanese original film with the American Godzilla King of the Monsters with Raymond Burr a scenes added. His presentation was hilarious and informative, as are all of his presentations. I was going to go into the screening of Gojira on a little bit more on my own, how it looked, the new Rialto DCP, and the new subtitles, but we do end up talking about it in our discussion that you're about to listen to, so I will go ahead and just let the actual fun begin now. But seriously, how cool is it that Godzilla is finally getting the praise it deserves, and of all places at the Turner Classic Movies Classic Film Festival. It truly makes my heart leap with joy. And so now, without any further ado, I present the first TCM party on Monster Island Resort.
2: Turner Classic Movies welcomes you home for the 2014 TCM Classic Film Festival, April 10th through the 13th in Hollywood. Once again, pass holders will be treated to a magical assortment of screenings in historic venues, poolside screenings, panel discussions, and entertainment of all sorts. A tribute to the exquisite Maureen O'Hara will include her presentation of a world premiere restoration of How Green Was By Valley. The legendary Jerry Lewis will be immortalized with a handprint ceremony in the courtyard of the world-famous TCL Chinese Theatre IMAX, and later host his iconic film, The Nutty Professor. A tribute to Richard Dreyfuss will include appearances at screenings of The Goodbye Girl and Mr. Holland's Opus. The brilliant Mel Brooks will present Blazing Saddles. Other screenings will include world premiere restorations of A Hard Day's Night, Stormy Weather, Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, and a 50th anniversary presentation of Mary Poppins. And of course, TCM hosts Robert Osborne and Ben Mankiewicz will be on hand to welcome our family of movie lovers to the celebration. We'll also have distinguished guests, unforgettable events, and Club TCM, where pass holders can meet, mingle, and help celebrate the 20th anniversary of Turner Classic Movies. So join us for the 2014 TCM Classic Film Festival, April 10th through the 13th in Hollywood.
1: I'm here at the TCM Film Festival closing party. Hi! And we're getting our picture taken. Oh,
2: gracious
1: me. Because this is all about pictures. Does it still look like a seance? Yes. Fantastic. (laughs) It's the last day. We're at the party. Things are slowing down. We're all a little tired. I'm actually on Vicodin right now. Yeah. Um, Woo! And I'm about to drive to San Diego. <laughs> But uh, I did want to get some of us together to talk about our experience at the festival. We all know each other via internet for the most part, except for Beth, of course. Beth Acomando, who uh, has joined me on the podcast a bunch of times. is my partner doing film stuff in San Diego. We all love films. Today is going to be a different time on Monster Island Resort. It's going to be TCM party on Monster Island Resort. It's all our TCM party people. So for now, let's all just kind of talk about who we are what our online presence is if you have a blog or anything you'd like to promote particularly if you came to the festival with media credential where we can find what you're going to say on your particular outlet i'm a very much a classic film lover and uh, as we all are uh, which is why we are all here so um i'll pass this around you can tell me uh who you are, and, what, and where we can find what your coverage is going to be for the TCM Film Festival. We'll start with Paula, because she is TCM Party.
3: Oh, thanks Miguel. My name is Paula Guthet. I'm the founder and co-host of TCM Party, which is a live tweet along to Turner Classic Movies that has evolved into a classic movie community on Twitter. And I am also the co-founder of Cinema Detroit, which is Detroit's only truly independent art house. We're in Midtown. That's at cinemadetroit.com. All our screenings, showtimes, and features are at that website, cinemadetroit.com. And our TCM Party coverage will be on our Tumblr, .tumblr tcmparty.tumblr.com. And that's also where we announce our scheduled live tweets.
1: Which is definitely something important for everybody to pay attention to, especially if you're listening to this and you're interested in joining the insanity that is TCM Party.
4: Great. Hi, everybody. This is Will McKinley. Uh, I write about classic film news-related coverage, sort of current events-type coverage on a blog called Cinematically Insane, which you can find at willmckinley.wordpress.com. I'm also on Twitter as at Will McKinley, and I'm on Facebook as Will McKinley. And I'm on MySpace, and you can find me on the CB radio if you dial in, say Breaker Breaker Will McKinley, or you can just yell really loud. You can text me, pager, you can come to my house and knock on the door, throw pebbles at my window, however you'd like to get in touch with me. I have to ask, why didn't you bring your in-package Robert Osborne doll? (laughs) <laughs> yes, one of our one of our great friends from the internet created a phony Robert Osborne talking doll. And I get at least 10 hits on my blog every day for Robert Osborne doll and people send me emails like, "Dude, I totally love your Robert Osborne doll. Could you s-? And I'm thinking about talking to TCM about licensing a Robert Osborne Doll, but uh, I sadly do not actually have an around, or at least or at least none that I can speak about in public.
5: <laughs> we'll
1: keep it going.
5: Thank you. I'm Beth Acomando. I'm the author of the blog Cinema Junkie, which you can find at kpbs.org, and I'm on Twitter as Cinebeth and on Facebook you can find Cinema Junkie.
6: Hey, this is Joel Williams. You can find me on Twitter almost every night of the week tweeting to TCM. (laughs) My uh, Twitter handle is JoelRWilliams1. I do also blog occasionally, and that's at JoelRWilliams1.blogspot.com.
7: Hey, this is Kelly Pratt, a.k.a. Irish jayhawk 66 on Twitter. You can find me on Facebook, maybe, if I accept you as a friend. Of course I'll accept you as a friend. And you can also find my blog at Outspoken and Freckled. And that's about it.
0: Hi, I'm Nora Fiori. You might know me online as the Nitrate Diva. I have a WordPress blog, nitratediva.wordpress.com. You can find me on Twitter as Nitrate Diva, and I also make uh, gifts and post them frequently on Tumblr if you enjoy gifts. And let's face it, who doesn't? So, honored to be here, Miguel.
1: Thanks, everybody. Uh, I'm pleased to say I've actually worked with a bunch of you. I wrote I wrote a piece for one of Nitrate Diva's blogathons. Will and I have podcasted together, I think, on more than one occasion. Not with this podcast. I'm thankful that Will could be here for this podcast. Beth is on this podcast uh, and has been a few times. And Kelly and I have uh, podcasted together, along with Will, I believe, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. Sure. Honestly, that's kind of why I personally targeted some of you because I have worked with you in the past, or we talk most often among my TCM party friends. So at this point, there are questions, things I want to focus on to lead us on the way here, but it might not be as one at a time. And so if, if anyone wants to kind of raise their hand, I am going to moderate this a little bit. But first things, first, let's wish a happy birthday, 20th anniversary of, of Turner Classic movies. We're in the spot. we're here together. So just say happy birthday, TCM.
2: Happy birthday, TCM! And I was going
1: to ask you to sing, but I figured that's probably not the best idea in the world. <laughs> so, uh, the first point that we're going to talk about uh, the theme TCM Film Festival, Turner Classic Movies Film Festival, had a theme this year of family and film and various aspects of that. So, what did you think of the theme, and do you think that they nailed it? Did it carry through in the films that they chose? And we'll start with you, Will. Okay.
4: <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm usually dismissive about the theme because I feel like the theme is, is often not relevant. Sometimes I forget the theme. I don't even know what it is. I just go with my own idea of what I want to see. This year, I was more dismissive about it than ever before. And in fact, went to see a number of different movies with the family theme and was left with the strongest impact from those movies. Mm -hmm. I Never Sang for My Father, How Green Was My Valley, and also The Heart is a Lonely Hunter, all of which sort of have a family theme at the core and all of which have sort of sad endings that I'm still dealing with and and processing. But, But those were the three biggest emotional impacts for me of the the weekend, and they were all related to the festival theme.
1: I like what you said about the emotional impact that you had from the film. So I'm going to go with that. What films do you think left you feeling, and it, it could be any range of emotions, and I'm going to start, actually, because Beth and I saw two films in a row. The first one was Make Way for Tomorrow, which, in the introduction, they said, you know, we got the warning that it was very difficult to watch. It is, it is a sad film, and it has sad elements. And there were definitely lots of sniffles in the theater afterward. And I went from that to A Matter of Life and Death, the Powell and Pressburger film. and the emotional impact of that film was 50 times greater in just the first two minutes. I love Powell and Pressburger, but actually that was my first experience with that film at all, not just on the big screen. And it was absolutely marvelous and incredible and transcendent. And I'm so happy that
6: I went to that. Anyone want to talk about a similar experience? Joel? The other morning I went to see Tokyo Story. And that obviously is a very sad film. It's very I want to also speak to what Will said earlier. To me, it was one of the strongest family-themed films of the festival. Mm-hmm. So it was great uh, for me to go to see it. Of course, I love Japanese films, so another great reason to see it. But it's very great family and sad, uh, emotionally film. It's a bit of a trying film, but beautiful, beautiful film.
7: I would say that seeing how green was my valley was very emotional experience for me, partly because of Maureen O'Hara, but even though it's based on a welsh family with the john ford stock troop in presence it definitely has really an irish feel about it and because that's such a personal connection for me i really connected to that story and it is a very compelling story you relate or feel great sympathy and you really get to know that family both in humor and in sadness and the poverty
0: and the struggle and i was moved to tears definitely
1: Any other Waterworks films going on? (laughs) Nora?
0: Well, I have to say, for me, Meet Me in St. Louis was a really emotional time, and I think a big part of that was sitting next to people who I had just met for the first time, but whom I've known for really over a year now, and I felt like that was part of what made it almost like a family reunion within a family reunion. It was really cool to have family on a whole bunch of levels watching that.
1: Did Kelly have your tear stains on her shoulder?
0: Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. I think so. She's going to have to get the oxyclean. You know, she's got black streaks all over. It looked like a raccoon man. Oh,
3: yeah.
1: What about joy? Anything that just brought your emotions to a high rather than a low? It doesn't have to be sadness.
3: I have to say a matter of life and death. The beginning is quite sad. At the end, though, it's, for me, pretty joyful. Mm. I enjoy that film a lot. I agree a lot. I never saw it on the big screen before.
1: And the colors, outstanding.
6: For me, the most joyful film I saw this weekend was Stormy Weather, which was just nonstop entertainment and absolutely a joy to watch. The song numbers and the dance numbers, fabulous. That's a film that's a real stretch, though, for the family theme. I don't know. (laughs) But joyful, yes.
7: I'm sorry, I'm just going to add, since we're talking about Joy, when we went to see City Lights, Mm -hmm. that was a point that I have never laughed so hard in all the films that we saw in this festival. I was laughing till I cried, and in the end, you do shed a tear of laughter type as well. So, Charlie Chaplin was a genius, and he could, in the same story, bring incredible laughter to the point where you think you're going to pee your pants to the point where you just you just it's the sweetest ending too and the 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 tears are for joy in a not laughter sense but in a just pure sense of joy yeah so
1: as far as laughter goes
3: blazing saddles
1: i didn't get to see blazing saddles but of course i've seen it a million times so yeah
3: i just busted a gut at blazing saddles and i mean mel brooks his introduction he comes in singing the song (laughs) and he's a very funny speaker it's hilarious that was probably the most fun i had
1: did anyone else see why worry yes yeah. I did
3: not see why worry. All right. right.
1: Miss Aurora Citizen Screen. Talk to us about why worry.
8: Fabulous. First of all, I'm not very familiar with Harold Lloyd films. I've only seen Safety Last. And a few clips here and there. This was amazing. Gags I've never seen in other films when he climbs the giant. I mean, I had a hard time holding my, you know, I had to go to the ladies' room. When the drunk people come out of the, they're falling, and all of a sudden they start doing like a tango. I don't know if you got, yeah,
5: that was very, very funny. Plus the orchestra, of course. Having the live orchestra was just phenomenal for the silent films. There were two of them, very different films, one in comedy and then the other, the Hitchcock-Lodger film. But that just elevated it to such a point and you get to the point where you forget that that's a live orchestra. And I don't know if that's good or bad, but you forget, and it's so intertwined with the experience that it was phenomenal. Can I answer that? Yeah, actually. I, was, so,
1: I think you're going to say exactly what I was
4: thinking. Uh, okay, no, the silent films with live accompaniment is a huge part of the TCM Classic Film Festival for me. The first year, 2010, the festival closed with Metropolis with the Alloy Orchestra, and I've never had a more, it's, this sounds cliche to say it, but I've never had a more transcendent moment <laughs> in a movie theater to have 1,200 people jump up when the screen said the end and shriek with applause at the end. It just knocks you out of your seat. And admittedly, I was not at that point a big silent film fan, but I became a convert at that point. And every year I make it a point to go to the silent film screenings. If you've never seen a silent film, or if you don't like silent films, go see it with a live accompaniment and a room filled with enthusiastic fanboys and fangirls, and you will become a convert. Yeah.
1: Amen. Nora, Nitrate Diva is going to go ahead and take off for the night. And I'm so glad that you could join us. One of the greatest things about this is discovering new things. And we'll definitely get to that. I kind of want to end with that. But before we do that, let's go from the films we saw in Love to some of the presentations that went on before the films. Speaking of joy, Robin Hood this morning was sheer joy. And the, yes. <laughs> the okay. presentation before it just Fantastic. elevated that joy. Like, everything, yeah. And so, your favorite presentations that you've seen. Let's go with you, Paula. Go for
3: it. Thelma Schumacher before Matter of Life and Death was a fascinating presentation where she is Michael Powell's widow and she spoke about the making of the film obviously with a very unique perspective how it was made. She also did a really great presentation at Club TCM where it was her and Carrie Beauchamp talking about her work with Martin Scorsese and her life with Michael Powell and I would say that those are the standouts for me. Her introduction to Matter of Life and Death, and then her yeah, you know, TCM presentation. And she's such a legend, she l- is legendary. legendary. Yeah, and editor. Is so yeah, humble and willing to answer any questions, and very self-effacing and just
1: a genius. Well, it, what was great is even at the uh, the Adventures of Robin Hood presentation, there was a shout-out to editors and how they're the unsung heroes of filmmaking, yes. and, and she yeah. is definitely in that lot. For sure. Will, anything?
4: Yeah, I mean, this wasn't an introduction necessarily, but uh, during a screening of a movie called Employees Entrance from 1933, which is a famous pre-code movie, if you know anything about the motion picture production code, pre-code movies are films that were released between roughly 1930 and and July of nineteen thirty four. and there sexier and more open before the regulations took effect in the movie business. And the programmer from Film Forum, which is a great rep house in New York City, did a presentation called Precode 101 where he explained the concept of precode and showed a number of clips from the seminal precode films. And seeing that kind of stuff in a room filled with people who dig it as much as you do is a huge part of what this festival is about. It takes, like, if you like something, you're only going to like it more. Mm -hmm. by experiencing it with a room filled with like-minded individuals.
5: And also what was interesting on some of these was how many people hadn't seen a lot of these films. So while a lot of the people were like-minded, there's also this sense that they're introducing a lot of people to certain things. And I mean, when that pre-code presentation was going on, you could hear some people kind of like gasping in ways that like I didn't know that existed or I didn't know these kind of films were around so that part of it too was really great and I I think that was one of the best presentations before a film and I did love the Robin Hood one because as someone who's an editor and as someone who's had to, I mean I was watching that and I'm seeing like moviolas and I'm seeing like Ten reels of thirty-five millimeter film that they're syncing up for sound effects. I mean, I had to do all that stuff on those stupid Killer Tomato movies. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so I
1: have to. So, for those of you who don't know, Beth is the editor of all the, the Killer Tomato sequels. sequels. Oh, yes. wow.
5: awesome. <laughs> and we edited on thirty-five and on thirty-five movieolas and on a steam be- a flatbed too. That's so, awesome. yeah, and one of my movieolas actually blew up and caught fire. So, oh. anyway, but it was it was it was fascinating to see some of the stuff from the Robin Hood film and see how gorgeous that color was and they dissected the sound effect for the arrows which and the great thing was is that they actually got the sound from an arrow which if you talk to a lot of sound designers the way they create their sounds is they go far away from the original object and like use all sorts of other things yeah those were those were great presentations before <laughs>
1: Well, it was great, because he started that way, by going away from other things and trying to create yeah, try. It was like, wait, it's just an arrow. <laughs> 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 it's awesome. I love the process,
8: too, that he went through. Yeah. yeah. You know, the, the, the process, I'm as non-technical as you yeah. can get, and I just love the fact that when he realized it was an arrow, that he, then he went into every size <laughs> arrow, every, yeah. yeah, exactly. And it was called the Indian Cut, I believe yeah. he said. Yeah, the Indian yeah, Cut. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. And that was the, uh, the feathers on the arrow were right. called the Indian cut. They were at an angle yeah. that made a really loud noise.
3: The video representation of how Technicolor works, yes. previous to Robin Hood, was most instructive to me. I would love to film something in Technicolor. It's not going to happen anytime soon. <laughs> but I love sort of the simplicity of it. They use black and white film with different filters to make all the colors. And I, I just find that fascinating and very cool to see that. And it's one of my favorite movies ever. I saw it for the first time when I was 11. I've had a crush on Errol Flynn ever
8: since.
1: Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people could say the same thing. Um, Yeah, and I wish somebody would make Technicolor film again, but, or or films again, but, you know, what are you going to do? Joel, did you uh, have any presentations that really stuck out to you?
6: I would say, again, I'll go back to Stormy Weather. Mm -hmm. Donald Bogle, let off the introduction. He's an African-American film historian. That was really interesting. And then at the end of the film, he played a clip of the Nicholas Brothers' presentation from that film, but when they were 40 years old, it's a television presentation. They had like a 60-second clip of the same routine. And to top that off, members of the Nicholas Brothers' family were in the audience, so that was kind of a nice special touch.
4: They did that a couple years ago, which was one of the highlights of five years Bruce Goldstein is a huge fan of the Nicholas Brothers and an evangelist for their talent and they actually I think the grandchildren have an act called the Nicholas Sisters right and it's I mean it's awesome they're just like go uh YouTube them Nicholas Brothers you'll find all sorts of crazy acrobatic some of the most memorable dance sequences in in movies Bruce Goldstein, by the
1: way, is just a great presenter. He's knowledgeable, he's engaging, he's hilarious, he always has things to show. And he founded Rialto Pictures, which is such a boon to film in general. And As a film festival director, Rialto has been pretty outstanding to work with. Um, I'm really thankful for him and for that company. Here's an interesting question regarding film formats. Film versus digital presentations. And this question of should we hold on to a purist mentality regarding 35mm, which I adore. But I have to say, there are two films, well, actually I'll do third. I want to talk about Godzilla later, that's another one, that were digital presentations that floored me. The first was, believe it or not, Johnny Guitar, and the second, The Adventures of Robin Hood. Amazing, looked absolutely incredible. And then we saw Cat on a Hot Tin Roof in a 35mm projection, which looked good. But honestly, I was more floored by the digital presentations of Robin Hood and Johnny Guitar. And so I I want to kind of gauge our feelings on the film format thing. Paula, you are like jumping up and down. You're ready to have a heart attack. I am. I am.
3: You're no, bouncing. I just, I just wanted to make my, you know, <laughs> I mean, opinion you known. No, no, I'm sorry. I project in both 35 millimeter and DCP. And again, um, at
1: Cinema Detroit.
3: Right, correct. Next month, we're going to be showing the same 4K digital restoration of Lady from Shanghai as was mm. shown at this festival. That is a super crisp. Amazingly gorgeous restoration. If you haven't seen it, run don't walk <laughs> to your nearest theater and see it. It's it's almost like a different movie. It's so crisp, and I just think that both have their place. 35 millimeter and digital. As a projectionist, digital runs easier. It's easier to run. 35 millimeter, I think, makes more of an impression because of the mechanics of how it works and the impression it makes on your brain. But These restorations are incredible. They're incredible looking and I just think there's a place for both. Also 35 millimeter is important and preservation. That is the only non-format specific way to preserve a motion picture.
1: I knew someone would bring that up and I was hoping someone would so thank you. Joel. You're welcome.
6: I just want to add to what Paula said. The, The best print that i saw this weekend was the lady from shanghai it's the very last film that i sh- saw the festival it is absolutely amazing 4k digital projection it was outstanding i mean rita hayworth jumps off the screen
4: <laughs> and we all want that yes. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. (laughs) Right. Okay, so this is a topic that is near and dear to my heart. When the TCM Film Festival started, I think four or five of the films, the many films, many dozen films, were DCP. This year, it was roughly 50-50. TCM is doing an amazing job in keeping a 35-millimeter film component for the percentage of these attendees who care, and there is a substantial percentage who care. But it's like they're propping up the corpse in Weekend at Bernie's. I mean, we all know that, sadly, 35mm is a, is a dying format, at least in theatrical projection, and TCM is propping it up, and, and God bless them for it. But you also have to know that when you go to see a 35mm film at this festival, it is not going to be as technically precise As the DCP that you see, it's not going to look as good. In some cases, it's not going to sound as good, and almost always, it's not going to be projected as flawlessly. And for some people who like like to listen to maybe music on LPs, Mm -hmm. that's cool. Like hearing a little pop and hiss in the soundtrack and seeing seeing focus seeing focus up at real at changeovers is part of the film experience for a lot of people. But if you want to go to see a beautifully restored film in a beautifully restored print, that's likely going to be a DCP of a, of a new restoration. So it's a matter of what you want from the movie, and maybe each movie has, gives you a different experience, you know?
7: I was just going to add, speaking of beautifully restored, we saw Touch of Evil, mm. and it was presented by Charlton Heston's son, Frasier, and that was amazing. Just seeing that on the big screen in all of its black and white shades of gray noir the restoration was gorgeous seeing that up on the again the big
8: screen it was a completely different experience okay. and that's such
1: out. an image based yeah. film yeah. that you know and so we're going to do a shout out and then back
8: just a quick shout out restoration how green was my valley looked amazing i'm sorry i adore that film and i thought it looked wonderful
5: the one point i want to make is notice how everybody's saying restoration it's not just Bingo. digital that's
4: exactly what I was Yeah, saying,
5: because yeah. the problem is with a lot of the stuff you find on blu-ray they've just digitally enhanced the prints and they're not restored to what necessarily was the intention of the filmmakers so I think that's important I mean good point the the classic one is the 1966 Batman where they restored it and they like they made it so crisp and clean you see the seams on the psych in the back and you know you see <laughs> Cesar Romero's mustache through it and that wasn't what they intended you know when they made the film but so the ones we saw today I think it it is a big difference these were careful restorations of the mm-hmm. film to make them look as good as they could and as close to what the filmmakers intended, so I think that's a key point when you talk
4: about digital projection. Can I add one point about that, yeah, real quick? Yeah, definitely. Um, that conversation that you know that Beth just mentioned—you have to have regarding *The Wizard of Oz*, which, you know, a lot of people, including me, were not happy to have the closing night signature film be. <laughs> a classic film that's been altered from the director's original vision, but what Warner Brothers did with The Wizard of Oz, I think, is basically take the visual information that existed right in the original film and enhance it and highlight it in ways that maybe the technology didn't allow in the past, and I find that it enhanced the film, it didn't take away from it, and that Seeing what had formerly been kind of a flat, fakey-looking painted background, all of a sudden with the hills having depth, for me, made it a better experience. And they didn't blow out the color and they didn't make everything look unfilmically sharp. Did you, have you seen The the Wizard of Oz? Nothing. Okay, Uh, uh, but this, like, I was very happy with the way it looked. And, you know, Robert Osborne disclaimed it at the beginning. He's like, well, I haven't seen this, Mm -hmm. you know, because he knew that there were people who had, you know, maybe concerns. And I think anyone who saw that film who loves movies loved the way it looked. Aurora has a question for Beth.
8: Yeah, um, when I saw the city lights, I noticed, it looked beautiful, but I noticed in the boxing scene, you can see his string really clearly would that be a result of because
5: it it was clearer than I ever saw it before yeah I mean because when you have the film you're gonna have more grain and when you I mean it's like when you have you have your phone apps now so you know you hit sharpen look at what it does to the picture does it necessarily make it better no um you know sometimes if it's dark or something you might make some things pop but I mean that's what we have at our disposal now I mean on a very consumer level you know just check what those filters do and that's what you can do when you're doing transfer of a film but is that necessarily what you want to do no I mean it's things like two they showed the godfather part two godfather one there are black blacks there are shadows and they're meant to be shadows so you don't want to just make it brighter and clearer and easier to see what's going well, on in those shadows that whole, that whole exactly whole yeah. so that was probably an issue of that and you know how how significant was that in the whole scope of the film should they have gone back and maybe changed it they probably could you know if they wanted to but that would have been, a been digital changes. yeah
8: I just didn't remember seeing that so
5: clearly. You probably didn't.
1: Right, yeah, you probably didn't. And it's always important to remember that when the films are made, they're being made by cinematographers with the express intent that some things are going to be obscured and uh, and, and they, they knew that medium. that was okay. done on they know their own medium, and so that 's where I think digital can be a danger because when someone comes back later, whether it 's three years later or fifty years later or seventy years later they don 't have that same the film. yeah it 's redirecting the film, so you know who knows what it 's going to look? it could be great or it could not. And then the other problem with digital is it's also super simple to reproduce. And so you end up with multi-generations where things are just deteriorating and looking worse rather than better. But thankfully here at the TCM Film Festival, that has not been the case. All of the restorations have been phenomenal. All right, so we're just two more topics and then we're going to call it a fest. (laughs) so this is a big one because this goes philosophically what I think is so important about Turner Classic Movies and what I think is so important about the TCM Film Festival and that is in one word posterity Introducing these films to new audiences to ensure their longevity. When we left Robin Hood, I went to the bathroom and there was a dad with his two little boys he had just taken to see this on the big screen. And they were like, they were so excited and they were bouncing. It was, it was amazing, you know, and everybody thinks that that won't happen. It needs to be things flashing across the screen, crazy Pixar movie or something. You can keep these films alive for all ages, And I think TCM has a great place in doing that. So what I want to talk about is the rediscovery of films that have maybe faded into obscurity or new discoveries for all of you. And so I want each person to name a film from past years of the TCM Film Festival that you may have taken and introduced to friends or family after the festival was over. I had
8: trouble remembering last
3: year.
1: <laughs> good Lord in heaven, Paula. How many <laughs> drinks did you have?
3: It's a secret. <laughs> I can't tell you
1: that. All right, and if you, if you don't remember that, the other question you can answer is, can you name a film you saw this year that you had never seen before or even heard of before? I and that—that's that. important here. You haven't heard of before, and you want to carry the torch for? I'm going to get us started because it's me, it's my show. <laughs> I have two I can choose from, but I'll, I'll just do one on approval. On approval awesome. is a 1944 comedy that played against at the same time as The Thin Man, one of my favorite films. So it's one of those times where it's like crap. This is a painful decision, but I've seen Thin Man projected before. I'm going to go with this movie I've never heard of. Beth read the description to me. It said, a British comedy of manners. And we're like, that could co-written be... written by Terrence Oh, Wood, yes, it's... Bond yes, director. it's co-written. Starring Clive yeah, starring, Cl- starring and directed by Clive Brook, co-written by Terrence Young. And basically, it was a gamble. And we went, and it paid off in spades. Even though Beth and I were sitting in the front row... All the way to this side, we were seeing the, the screen from a totally insane angle. But the film was so engaging and hilarious and awesome that I forgot about that. I, I was just so drawn into it. and I was
5: I, hoping they had it in the... I was... I ran to the gift shop hoping that they had the DVD or Blu-ray there so I could buy a bunch of them and give them out for, to my family. That's
1: what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. They said that there's a Blu-ray, and all I want to do is is go and get the Blu-ray and show it to as many people as possible. And that's posterity, and that's what happens with this film festival. So that's what I want us to talk about. Films, go.
3: I have to agree on approval was total. I just went to it based on recommendations I caught it as as a tba on sunday because i saw something else or whatever in that time slot when it was around the first time and i thought it was amazing afterwards i went to someone i was like oh my god it was so great wasn't it and they were like not really and um but i thought it was fabulous so there you go passing the torch
4: uh, so for me, you know, there's always a conversation about w- what's a classic film and what's the cutoff, or is there a cutoff? And that
1: was going to be one of the questions I was going uh, to. <laughs>
4: okay, well we won't. That's uh, a, we won't. We won't step on that landmine. Uh, but well, no, I, um,
1: I, 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 I. did veto it. it. Okay. But no, keep
4: going. No, so like there are a lot of people here who think maybe classic film ends when the studio era ends or when the motion picture production code ends. I've always been fascinated by the movies from the end of the code, the new Hollywood era. And there were two that I saw for the first time this weekend that were my revelations. And the first was I Never Sang For My Father, which was introduced by Ileana Douglas with her grandfather, Melvin Douglas and Gene Hackman, which, you know, it's like if you have aging parents or you've recently lost parents, it's just every minute of the movie is like, yes, 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 yes. I've experienced that. And it's just so resonant. And Then the other one that was a big discovery for me was The Heart is a Lonely Hunter with Alan Arkin. And Before the movie, he was interviewed by Ben Mankiewicz, and it's just a fascinating performance because he plays a deaf mute. He doesn't have a line of dialogue in the film, but his performance is so rich, you know, and so nuanced, and the movie is so emotional, and it's a very different experience than going to see employee's entrance from 1933 or on approval from 1940s. You know, and it's great, I think, that you can have all those different experiences at the same festival. And that's why I always say to the people, don't, let's, let's not limit it, let's expand it so people who like one thing can go see that and people who like something else can go see that, you know? And that's how you get those new discoveries, right? Because you see something maybe that's outside of your normal comfort zone.
5: Like I said, those are, I mean, when I see something I like, I want to immediately go and share it. I would like buy it, show it at our the digital gym cinema where we program stuff, give them out to people. That's what I feel like. When I do my blog, I feel like it's film activism. It's not yeah. just film reviews. It's like you've got to champion something.
6: <laughs> so for me, last year I saw I Am Suzanne, which was an incredibly obscure one. One, it, for me, it was the highlight of the Film Fest last year. It was an awesome film. So this year, I came to the Film Festival thinking, what's going to be my I Am Suzanne this year? And actually, the two standouts for me this year were the two documentaries they showed, Grey Gardens mm-hmm. and Best Boy, which I saw today, A very mm-hmm. touching movie. So those were, Grey Gardens is definitely kind of quirky with quirky <laughs> characters. No doubt. <laughs> uh, and Best Boy is really touching. So for, for me, those were the two that stood out at the festival.
8: I'm going to go back to why worry. I want the world to know that what's funny is funny. Yeah. Regardless of when it was made, personally I want to see everything Harold Lloyd ever did now, you know. I mean, it was I just didn't I cried. Far. Yeah, I mean I cried with City Lights although I've seen it a lot of times because the experience was enhanced there because of the you know the audience, but why were I mean I didn't stop laughing from the minute it started till it ended. It was one great gag after another. Of course the live orchestra added to it, but I'd love to show that to everybody. Yeah. Do you know forget that it's silent. It's amazing. So that's my pick.
1: And please do show it to everybody. You know, what's great about that and Harold Lloyd in general is the athleticism of his his gags are outstanding. And Beth has interviewed Jackie Chan. And why don't you talk about what Jackie Chan said?
5: The two main influences Jackie Chan talked about were Harold Lloyd and Gene Kelly and from both of them the thing that he learned i th- well, it, it's a couple of things but it's the notion of choreography and it's also the notion of if you're really good at doing something you don't need to edit it a lot. You can shoot it wide and you can shoot it without a lot of cuts because it's far more impressive. If... You can't do something. like You can't dance like the women in Chicago. You have to edit on every beat to make it look like they're actually dancing. And if you can't choreograph a good fight, then you use shaky cam and you cut every two seconds to make it look like they're doing it well. But if you're Jackie Chan, you lock the camera down on a tripod and you shoot it wide and you let people see how truly amazing it is what you're doing. Exactly. Yeah, and yeah. Gene Kelly used to yeah. do that, yeah. you know, wide angle. And uh, Harold Lloyd was a big inspiration to him. And Buster Keaton, too. Yeah,
1: I mean, anytime you see Harold Lloyd do something crazy, it is on camera. He's yeah. scaling a wall and climbing onto it, it's on camera. It's yeah. outstanding. Did he lose two- Yes. And not a stunt person. <laughs> yes, and not a, no, no, a total goofball. My, my
8: argument as I, I try to get simple to people who don't like classic film. Okay, let me just explain to you. Forget the techni- the technical part of it. When they did something, they did something. Mm-hmm. If the classic if if classic dancers on in the MGM musicals danced, they danced. Mm-hmm. They, you didn't edit the dance. You saw their entire body. They messed up. They did it again from the beginning. It was pure. These people had that talent. You didn't have to edit in the action. It You've is seen what it a is. thousand camels in the desert.
3: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I'm beating the
1: drum again with with Adventures of Robin Hood. But exactly.
3: when Any type of yeah, when so those guys experience. were jumping
1: exactly. like grasshoppers to knock yeah. people off horses,
3: can I jump, amazing. Can I jump yeah. I think that's the reason why some people have such a great reaction to some of Wes Anderson's work is he does not rely on CGI, he relies on models, things that are actually real, even though they're not to scale, say, they are definitely real. So I think with something like that or Inception, where he actually built the giant tumbling thing, you have a different reaction to it than if it's just a green screen with some graphics.
1: Yeah, it we can do it. Carries
3: a little more soul. That's a whole other podcast. And we could do it. I know. And
1: I have actually done a whole podcast on but it, but it's, it's a never ending conversation because it's very, sure. very true. It actually went back to the Rick Baker panel, which is the first oh, the thing song. Beth and I did oh, this, which was an absolutely amazing panel. Basically, saying a lot of the things we're saying anyway. It's about that time. The last thing I just kind of want us to mention. Is and because I'm going to talk more mostly about Godzilla, which was very, very personal to me, uh, but we don't have to do that here, um, <laughs> uh, unless somebody else wants to say something about and that particular screen, but that yeah, is that is a little out bit out of a lone time.
4: Well, Zen it
3: was <laughs> amazing film, Hiroshima, and probably never far from their consciousness. And just everybody who worked, I will say hot. this
1: everybody who worked on the film was directly affected by Hiroshima or Nagasaki.
3: It's all I could think of when I saw it, it was like seeing everybody lined up, I was like, these poor people, it was a horrific film for them.
4: That, that's just, what that film was, well, it was for. Them. A statement. I overheard someone after the film saying, "Wow, that was sad." And you, you don't, you know, if you grow up watching TV in the '60s and '70s, or whenever you did, or '80s, and you saw Godzilla, King of the Monsters, right? I mean, it's not a sad film. It's a completely different movie. And this is a very, very touching film. And they've done such a great job restoring it. And it's going to be touring around the country, I think, from Rialto and. So definitely, if you think, oh, well, I've seen Godzilla a million times, you, you have not seen it like this. Yeah,
1: and, and even if you've seen the Japanese version before, you still haven't seen it like this. The restoration from Rialto this time around for this new DCP, 60th anniversary restoration, is breathtaking, and, and I've said this to you guys in person, but most impressive to me were the new subtitles. Bruce Goldstein and the folks over at Rialto, I have to give them so much kudos, because there was a nuance to the subtitles when the subtitles would appear that added meaning to what was going on was so good. And I I can't tell you guys how many times I've seen this film. I own 13 copies of it. So I've seen it hundreds of times. So yeah, I can't recommend it enough if it comes to your town. As a closing, I'm going to ask you guys for one small anecdote of your personal connection to classic film film. How did it start for you?
7: Okay, I just have to say that this was my first TCM film festival. and This is
1: Kelly, by the way. This is Kelly. I was Jayhawk66.
7: <laughs> and I just have to say that the thing that I was looking forward to the most was meeting my friends that I feel like I've gotten to know as a second family through the internet one way or the other, <laughs> either through Twitter, mostly through Twitter, TCM party, Facebook, what, what have you, or my blog. But I just got to say that that's still the biggest highlight for me.
1: So the connections you made.
7: Yes, yes. I mean, I feel like I'm completely at home. So to end this festival on Wizard of Oz, where Dorothy is talking about there's no place like home, which is Kansas for her. Kansas is my for home you. as well. <laughs> but, you know, I feel like my home is with this these people right here. Because when you go home... There's a lot of people who just don't get you. That's It's not the same thing. And so I, I feel at home with all of these people. So to meet them face-to-face, that was my biggest takeaway.
8: Probably most people here, I've said it a million times, I came to this country when I was five years old. We got from some relative, an old little black-and-white TV. And I'm convinced classic film taught me English. I have always represented this country for me, the culture, the, you know, because it was what what I was watching. We came in November. We arrived, actually, on a Thanksgiving. I just started, I don't know, the 430 movie, the PBS. It just became this country. It sort of was... W- what welcomed me it, it, it's just a warm feeling i can't really explain
6: well i think a lot of people's common reaction is uh, wizard of oz because you see it as a child and that gets you into classic films my dad personally was a champion of turner classic movies before i was and recommended that i watch films especially preston sturgis films that's a favorite director of his he got me to watch best Years of our lives for the first time he said he kept he kept he kept, he kept telling me you have to see this movie And I finally did I was like, oh, wow, yeah, that's really good. So that's how I got started in it.
5: My father is the one who gave me my love for movies. He took me and my sister to movies all the time. Some of my first memories of movies are King Kong, Marx Brothers... He took us to the Cinema Leo in Pacific Beach where you used to have to lie down to watch movies and the screen was from floor (laughs) to ceiling. And when I was in school, he wrote a note saying I was sick so that I could stay up and watch On the Waterfront because this is before VCRs, before you could watch something on Netflix. He wrote a note saying that I was sick and made me watch On the Waterfront at midnight and then watch Tom Jones in the afternoon the next day (laughs) so that I could get two classic movies in and he, he felt that was worth missing school for so i thank my dad for my love of films
4: and and i have to echo that i mean it's you know my father as well my mother to a lesser extent but and, and that relates to the theme of this festival you know family the ties that bind there's such a family connection with classic film and it's like an heirloom that's passed down from generation to generation and also following up on what kelly says you know i go to rep screenings in new york city many many times in a year and almost always by myself because I just don't know a lot of people that share that interest and I come here and you meet hundreds if not thousands of people that have the same exact interest as you or in some cases different and you learn how to love what they love by sitting with them. I sat with Kelly and Aurora and various other folks, and watch them—you know, like cry and get emotional—and it, it it impacts you. You know, it it allows you to look at a movie maybe that you hadn't looked at before in a different way. So it's just a great experience, you know, I highly recommend it for anybody who loves movies. Don't think that you got to love old black and white movies. If you love movies, you you know, you need to come to this thing.
3: When I was very young, an aunt of mine who actually passed last year, we used to watch movies together, her and my grandmother, and I basically inherited that, so again tie in with the family theme. The day after this festival ends, when I get home, is the loneliest day of the year because there just aren't that many people who get you.
1: Well, I'm really happy that everybody could share their stories. One thing I want to say is we are all TCM Party people, and what that means is that we watch Turner Classic movies and talk about it on Twitter with the hashtag TCMParty. Thanks in big part to Paula, who is... At sign TCM underscore party. I'm gonna have everybody's Twitter handles on the website for this episode, as well as all the links that you send me for anything you're doing. But just so anyone knows, if anyone turns on TCM and finds a film they want to watch and goes on Twitter, then you're going to watch that film with lots of friends from all over the place. And it's a really astounding experience, in my opinion. Especially if you're home alone and it's like, wait, I'm actually watching this with like 300 friends. It's great. I love this. I love the festival because I actually have you all here in the flesh. But I'm going to say goodnight. It's time for 2014 to wrap up. And uh, thanks to TCM for putting on a really, really unforgettable show. Thanks. Goodnight, everybody. Uma